to Mint and Burn, the academic analysis of blockchain and other technologies in the decentralized digital economy. I'm your host, Kelsey Navin, and we are tuning in from the RMIT University Blockchain Innovation Hub to bring you expert guests and test frontier ideas. Today, we're joined by Zane Griffin-Tally-Gupa on blockchain and environmental sustainability. Welcome, Zane. Hi, it's great to be here. Glad to have you on the podcast. I guess kicking off, it'd be wonderful to hear a little bit more about your research interests. Uh, yeah, so um, my research interests are not necessarily centered around blockchain, but more so use blockchain as a case study to uh, sort of get at some uh, larger ideas. So my research is predominantly um, on the entanglements between data infrastructures, energy production, and resource extraction, and how we can think about all of these normally uh, siloed areas of concern um, together as sort of a, uh, a singular process, or at the very least, a, um, a codependent entangled process. Um, and so my dissertation is called uh, Bitcoin Rare Earth um, Data Energy and Extraction Across the Arctic. And it traces um, some of these entanglements using two case studies. One is the cryptocurrency mining industry in Iceland, and the other is the uh, nascent rare earth mining industry in Greenland and particularly South Greenland. And through these case studies, I um, try to sort of tease out and bring to the surface um, a lot of the um, like material, uh, ideological, political, uh, geographical, and logistical entanglements between uh, between uh, uh, data infrastructures um, like uh, uh, green energy um, uh, and the push for uh, the green transition and the ways in which the uh, the sort of twin growth of digital technology and green energy are sort of pushing on the uh, critical minerals industries and uh, sort of catalyzing a, a sort of rush for, uh, for uh, new mining around the globe. Um, and like, this is true, not just for rare earths, but for like, you know, uh, you know lithium, uh, nickel, cobalt, all the battery metals and things like that. So what I'm, what I'm looking at, trying to take all of these uh, sort of, areas of concern like um, like resource policy, energy policy, and uh, and uh, data policy and sort of sort of weave them all together and try to try to see them as sort of one entangled process that we need to look at as um, as a singular thing and not just you know because one of my one of my biggest uh, biggest um, pet peeves is that, you know, you have folks working on uh, something like AI policy or blockchain policy sort of uh, over, you know, over here and then like uh, over 
you know, over here you have mm -hmm. uh, folks working on energy policy, and then over here you have folks working on uh, resource policy. But really, like in in many ways, these these uh, these areas are sort of merging together in a lot of really uh, strange and dynamic ways that aren't being um, in my in my mind they aren't being properly um, attended to in especially in the blockchain space um, uh, the ways in which like proof of work uh, blockchain infrastructures are um, are sort of uh, developing uh, these uh, increasingly close relationships with energy utilities and and mm -hmm. um, energy production and how like energy companies are incorporating uh, cryptocurrency mining into their portfolios and things like that. So like the, there, there is this, and there is this sort of uh, um, merger happening between big tech and energy that's happening in ways that, um, that I think we should pay closer attention to. And so my work just tries to, um, tries to tease out a little bit of these entanglements um, to see, to ask questions about how we should, uh, how we should think about uh, relationships between data energy and extraction and how we can um, like use the visibility of these entanglements that I'm trying to bring to the foreground to, develop better mm -hmm. policy, right? And better ways of, um, of understanding relationships between, between um, uh, digital technology and the environment um, beyond just simple uh, production consumption, you know, uh, like production consumption models, like uh, data centers consume X amount of energy and blah, 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 blah. But it, it's a lot more complicated than that. And that's sort of what I'm trying to show. Um, so yeah, that's generally um, that's generally what I work. That makes sense, and it's very, I guess, timely and relevant research. I mean, colloquially, or when I, you know, give talks on DAOs or blockchain or whatever, people always say, "But what about the energy consumption?" Like it's such a sort of um, headline concern, and and you know, um, potentially un undermining to these systems to to reference um, a paper on SSRN by um, Ellie Rennie from RMIT. She talks about how the energy concerns are a challenge to the legitimacy of public blockchains. I'm quite interested, I mean, you're, you're an ethnographer and I guess there's so much to dig into here, but just setting the stage, what was it like uh, doing field work in the Bitcoin mining in Iceland? Like what was it like kind of entering that field? It was... Uh... It's interesting because Iceland is a unique space, I feel, um, in the Bitcoin mining world um, because, uh, it first of all, um, it was a very welcoming space. Um, I, I've done work with the Icelandic Blockchain Foundation there, and they're all um, wonderful, wonderful people and welcomed me um, into into their fold, and I've been sort of um, keeping abreast of what they've been doing. The pan, I, I had anticipated doing longer, uh, more extended field work in Iceland, especially with this group. Um, but the pandemic sort of, um, 
cut that off. Uh, yes, which I understand. Was unfortunate, but I hoped. Yeah. Um, so, but I hope to be able to go go back and and do and do more do more work there. Uh, but what I will say that Iceland is a is a unique space to study blockchain, um, especially from the infrastructure side, because like th- that's where. That's where I sit. I sit on the infrastructure side. And so I'm not looking really at like the finance aspects of it or even so much the software side. Um, I'm starting a, I'm starting a new role uh, at Intel um, in June where I'm going to be looking more at, at the software side of blockchain and sustainability. But um, traditionally, I'm more focused on the hardware and the infrastructure side and asking questions about what are all of the sort of infrastructural conditions that need to be the case in order for proof of work cryptocurrency mining to happen at scale in a particular place. Um, So like, uh, you know, what sort of, what sort of real estate arrangements and energy arrangements, you know, all sorts of, all of the, all of these types of questions are sort of what I, what I'm interested in. And in, in Iceland, it's a very interesting case because it sort of goes against the popular imaginary of Bitcoin mining as this, uh, like exotic thing, exotic practice that, happens in abandoned warehouses or um you know is practiced by by ragtag groups of hackers or or something like that you know what i feel like a lot of the times when bitcoin mining gets media attention um the the media is focused on framing the practice as this sort of uh sort of weird thing that happens um, outside of the traditional data center industry writ large, right? Where like, sure. oh, you have these weird Bitcoin miners uh, buying up space in these abandoned warehouses and they're doing all of this weird stuff over here. And But in Iceland, that's not the case at all. And it's really not the case in a lot of, in a lot of places like Bitcoin, Big, the Bitcoin mining um, at the industrial scale using yeah. using ASICs um, that started out like you know there was home mining, but then like the industrial scale mining started out renting space from colocation data centers in like 2013, 2014. Um, and in Iceland, this is still the model. Like uh, all the almost all of the large scale Bitcoin mining in Iceland. I, Actually, I should say all of the large-scale Bitcoin mining in Iceland happens uh, within larger uh, colocation data center campuses, uh, yeah. and so it's very and and so you don't have these sort of standalone uh, Bitcoin mining infrastructures that sort of advertise themselves as such in Iceland. You have you have uh, you have various data center companies like at North or, um, or Borealis data center, formerly ETIX Borealis, uh, and, uh, Vern global. Like the, those are the big three, but you have these larger data center campuses that then host Bitcoin, uh, cryptocurrency mining clients. 
And yeah. if you were to go to any of their websites, you wouldn't you wouldn't know that they don't really advertise that they host Bitcoin mining clients. But until probably 2019, up to 80 percent of uh, the data center clients in Iceland were cryptocurrency mining, proof of work cryptocurrency mining. Um, but that's since sort of declined to 50% as Iceland is sort of trying to explicitly, excuse me, sort of pivot away from uh, cryptocurrency mining, like being being a hub for cryptocurrency mining and instead moving towards like high performance computing and uh, trying to advertise uh, sort of, you know, that sort of that service, high performance computing services, uh, other types of batchable computing. Um, but when I when I was there in 2019, I visited the Etix uh, Everywhere Borealis Data Center, just I think just called the Borealis Data Center now in North Iceland. And there were there were six uh, houses, and all of them had, all of them were just full of uh, Bitmain Antminer S nines. Um, mm, but now I think. But now I think they're pivoting. So, um, and I and I spoke to a I spoke to a gentleman um, from Iceland has this uh, sort of marketing arm uh, that's sort of run. It's a private public partnership uh, run by both the government and then it's there's this, it's this organization called Data Centers by Iceland that sort of uh, advertise advertises for uh, data center clients to come to Iceland. Um, and I spoke and I spoke with him and and I, I asked him um, because this is what I had what I had heard from folks in the cryptocurrency mining industry. Um, if Iceland's data center industry really was built by cryptocurrency, like the whole infrastructure for uh, data centers in Iceland was laid and f- sort of financed by cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, yeah, that's. 100 percent the truth um but now iceland is sort of once the consortium of icelandic data centers sort of wants to move away like Vern global has ended their cryptocurrency um mining services i think they have a couple of clients that are still finishing out their leases but other but um other than that they're they're ending their um they're ending their services but they were the first uh, data center in Iceland to accept cryptocurrency mining clients. Um, oh, interesting. So I'd be fascinated to know. I'd be fascinated to know where the clients are going. But you speak about um, in your work. You speak about that political discourses of data, energy, and resource extraction cannot be separated. So what you've mm-hmm. just spoken to seems to be one example where that is surfacing really around the kind of you know um as you say the um, entanglements between kind of the policy and the data infrastructure and the extraction so i mean they're obviously pivoting they're not moving away from from being a hub for data centers but do you understand like some of the reasoning for that and then what do the um, crypto clients do where do they go yeah. Um, well, I think that uh, so, so the reasoning behind it is complex, but I think that some of it just on the surface 
has to do with uh, cryptocurrency mining not necessarily having the greatest image at the moment. Um, but part of it has to do with uh, sort of a rebalancing of priorities. Um, and like in December of last year, what year is it? 2022? December of 2021. Um, Iceland had an energy shortage, actually. Um, so the Icelandic energy situation is um, basically they they produce 100% renewable energy, um, about roughly 30% from geothermal sources, roughly 70% from hydroelectric sources. Um, but most of that energy is used for heavy industry. Um, and a vast majority of that is used for aluminum smelting. Um, I would say about, I think, 70% of the total energy in Iceland is used by the aluminum smelters. Um, and then the, the actual population of Iceland, which is around 300,000, uses, uses comparatively less energy. Um, and then data centers use, I think the latest figure is 6%. 6% of the total. Um, but there's a, there's, so Iceland produces a lot of energy and there's a lot of surplus, um, that is produced or there was and data centers. Uh, and I spoke with a, um, with a fellow from, uh, from one of the private energy companies in Iceland. And he, and he said that, Yes, data centers um, have been running mostly off of uh, the surplus energy that Iceland uh, that Iceland produces, and so it hasn't been it hasn't been an issue to just keep adding data centers um, yeah. or adding adding more capacity to data centers. That hasn't been a tremendous issue um, in the past. But um, what what Iceland needs and this is, uh, and I've, I've interviewed some folks who attest to this, what Iceland needs is a better transmission system. And the, uh, the en they ran into a, an energy crunch in December of 2021, and they had to decide which sort of, they had to prioritize, the government had to prioritize um, what where the energy should go. And one of the first things that they decided to to cap to cap was bitcoin mining they're like okay so obviously bitcoin bitcoin mining we can just cap and they they decided for um a short period of time not to let any new bitcoin miners um uh onto onto the island um so okay so no, that was new it's not people currently mining because I was going to say that. Yeah, so it was a moratorium on new Bitcoin mining. So yeah, yeah. Um, what? So what normally happens is that whenever Bitcoin, uh, whenever Bitcoin uh, rises in price, um, all the energy companies there get floods of calls um, asking for uh, for access to access to energy. Um, and they, they often have to turn away a lot, but, um, uh, but yeah, so the, there was a decision by the government to, uh, to 
limit um, uh, new Bitcoin mining applications. And I think that that's significant because that it has little to do really with like, you know, like I said, these Bitcoin mining happens within these larger colocation data center campuses, which do all sorts of other things. Right. Um, and the government, I think, saw Bitcoin mining as this um, easy win where they could say, OK, so Bitcoin mining is controversial. Um, it has, you know, its environmental impact is is uh, seen as sort of disastrous by a lot of people. And even though uh, all of our Bitcoin mine, mining uh, folks here use renewable energy. If we put a cap on new Bitcoin mining, uh, if we put a moratorium on new Bitcoin mining, then that means then you know the pushback would be uh, minimal. I, I think is what the is what the uh, is what the understanding was. So yeah, so um, in in speaking with with Bitcoin miners, there um, you know they. Bitcoin miners always talk about how um, Iceland is, you know, one of the most stable places to to do Bitcoin mining. The climate is very, the climate is very stable and cool, and uh, the political climate is very stable. And there is, and it's just a very easy place um, to to do Bitcoin mining. But um, the uh, yeah, the politics, uh, the politics of energy and energy access and energy transmission are now sort of catching up with them in a way that I don't think was anticipated, um, especially when I was there in 2019. But now there's uh, there are all of these uh, in the last couple of years, all of these uh, new questions and controversies have have arisen and um, around Bitcoin and proof of work, um, not just in Iceland, but around the globe. And like, you know, the, the EU, I think still has on the, has on the table, a, uh, a, uh, an amendment to, uh, to like outlaw proof of work or, or something like that, um, that didn't pass, but I think it's still making the rounds. Um, but so so proof of work and bitcoin have become sort of politically contentious in in ways that were not anticipated in iceland in in 2019 and so you, so what what i've been seeing is that yes all of these all of these data centers that for for the last you know 10 years or so have been hosting predominantly cryptocurrency mining clients are seeing this as an opportunity to take the infrastructure that cryptocurrency has sort of built out and developed and sort of pivot to um, to other less controversial uh, data services, um, which still use the same amount of energy, really, like uh, if not if not more sometimes. Yeah, but like, fascinating. But like it's ideologically, right, and like politically, it's 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 uh, it's less um, controversial, right? Um, to yeah. say we we are we are an we're a high performance computing uh, 
data center campus that focuses on, you know, X, Y, Z for um, AI machine learning and like supercomputing for climate science or whatever. That's what the ETIC, that's what the Borealis data center is sort of focusing on now. They say like uh, high performance computing for like supercomputing climate science type stuff. Um, mm. So, But like in 2019, literally the whole thing was just chock full of uh, ant miners. <laughs> So, um, which grew the industry because you mentioned in your work, you know, even bigger data, AI smart grids, ubiquitous solar panels, um, you know, all of these things about how um, proposed futures for digital technology and renewable energy. I'm really interested in, like, what do you say then to people when they say, you know, cryptocurrency infrastructure is resource extractive and thus perhaps it shouldn't exist as a proposed, um, you know, future of money or future of um, computing or future of decentralized applications or whatever uh, people imagine it as. Yeah. Well, I think that there, I think that um, it's complicated because I, on, on one hand, I agree that, uh, that, proof of work um, is like, is an intensely wasteful process. Um, and, but at the same time, what I see, how I approach proof of work in, in my, in my research is that I use it as a lens through which to diagnose um, larger issues in the computing landscape. So proof of work yeah. is proof of work is a symptom of something that is it's a symptom of a larger rot in our relationship with uh, with our data and data infrastructures in general, right? So um, if proof like if Bitcoin and proof of work were to disappear tomorrow, that wouldn't really solve any problems um it would uh it would change the landscape a little bit but like i i feel like it's very naive to assume that if you were to just outlaw proof of work that all of this capital this this literal material capital that's all that's embedded in energy systems all over the world is just gonna turn off and that all of these, all of these companies and organizations and uh, relationships with uh, with energy producers and like all of the all of this is just going to vanish. That's mm-hmm. not that's not what's going to happen. Like what's going to happen if proof of work uh, is out is like outlawed or whatever. What's going to happen is that these these companies are going to pivot in similar ways that Iceland is doing to other types of services that they can use this infrastructure for. Um, Because another another point that I bring up in my dissertation is that um, Bitcoin uh, really catalyzed the the ASIC market um, and the market for specialized computing in way in in, in a way that um, has sort of built this this underlying infrastructure for um, 
for like AI, AI and, mach- and machine learning to uh, to sort of uh, build off of the back of uh, hmm. of the Bitcoin mining Bitcoin mining ASIC industry. Um, and so, like, and you can see it, like a lot of uh, a lot of the ASIC companies, like Bitmain, for example, has has an AI unit that's uh, that's that's pumping out a- AI chips and uh, AI ASICs and things like that. So you you know you already see you're you're already seeing some of the some of these uh, pivots or like hedges, right? I think I think a, a lot of these these companies that work on the infrastructure side of things are hedging a little bit with this type of stuff, and you can see it too, even in the uh, in the in the ways in which uh, Bitcoin mining infrastructure is sold to the public, um, especially in like city council meetings or, uh, or or congressional hearings, like the, the there is a recent congressional hearing on the environmental impacts of cryptocurrencies um, it, uh, in the U.S. Uh, I think it was headed up by Elizabeth Warren and a few a few other folks, but they brought in some some blockchain people. I don't know if you if you you might have caught that hearing. Um, or yeah, not. I'll I'll add links to it in the show notes too. I think the um, the yeah. EU thing you mentioned was really interesting to me as well. Yeah, I I'm not. I, I need to I need to look back into where we where we are with the EU situation with proof of work. I think it failed, but I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. But in in the uh, in the US, um, yeah, we had this uh, this congressional hearing. Oh, God, when was this? In March, I think. Um, I don't remember. Uh, but a lot a lot of folks from the some folks from the crypto and in- cryptocurrency industry were invited. Uh, uh, in particular, um, John Belazare, who is the CEO of Saluna Technologies, who um, I've been following that company for a little while because they one of their big projects is as financing and building a uh, 900 acre wind farm in Moroccan occupied Western Sahara um, that will uh, all of that energy will will power a Bitcoin mining data center. Um, and there are all sorts of, uh, really, um, hairy, uh, colonial questions and issues happening, um, with, with this site, um, which sort of, sort of helps me, um, make my point that like Bitcoin mining is also not a monolith, um, in that it looks different and serves different ends in different places. Um, and so, it, you know, it look it, it, Bitcoin mining is different in Texas than it is in like New York, than it is in Iceland, than it is in Western Sahara and in Western and in Western Sahara, it's, uh, it's serving the ends of like, pr- uh, of enforcing infrastructural legitimacy by the like King of Morocco on, on, uh, 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 territory that, that Morocco still violently occupies, um, that the UN recognizes as sovereign, but the, but Morocco still violently occupies and Saluna Technologies is sort of caught up in the middle of this. Um, and, uh, there there's, and, uh, and the King of Morocco is sort of like using this project to, uh, to claim a sort of infrastructural legitimacy in the region. Um, but anyway, uh, um, this hearing 
John Belazare goes up there and he and he's talking about um, the environmental impacts of of cryptocurrency and um, cryptocurrency infrastructure, and he's talking about how how he sees the future of cryptocurrency as as partnering and incentivizing green energy and everything like that. But in which is uh, which is a line that that a lot of folks in the cryptocurrency mining industry um, like to put forward that cryptocurrency mining incentivizes the build out of green energy infrastructures and, you know, what all, all of, all of that stuff. Uh, but the most interesting part of his testimony to me was that, um, at almost every point where he mentions cryptocurrency, he, he like couches it in, by placing it under the umbrella of a larger uh, and making it a subset of a larger category of computing that he calls batchable computing. Like he's like, yeah, so Luna, we do cryptocurrency mining, like AI, machine learning, uh, genome processing, other types of batchable computing. Um, and so, and I've, I've seen this language also be used in city council meetings in Texas to sell cryptocurrency mining data centers to, for example, the city of Denton, um, where a representative from Core Scientific, who just who are building a cryptocurrency mining facility in Denton on public land, um, sold it to the city council not just as a cryptocurrency mining facility, but as as a as a uh, high performance computing data center that will that will, um, you know, have all sorts of services like AI and machine learning, genome processing and cryptocurrency mining. So there's this, there's this couching going on, um, where, uh, where cryptocurrency mining is sort of being, uh, being placed into a larger category, um, called batchable computing, um, which I, I find very interesting, uh, like politically um, because what's happening on the ground is, is really just cryptocurrency mining. Like you walk through these data centers and very, very likely they'll just all be full of, you know, ant miners or uh, other cryptocurrency mining uh, ASICs, but, um, but they're, they're being sold as, uh, as like, building the potential for other types of computing using this infrastructure. Um, so, yeah. I think you very aptly frame it. I just want to read this short um, excerpt from uh, your website, actually, which I'll provide in the links as well. You say these chapters, this is from your dissertation, these chapters illustrate how infrastructures of data, energy, production, and resource extraction are co-producing each other in ways that cannot easily be contained by linear supply chain imaginaries. I show you how cryptocurrency and rare earth mining are ideologically, materially, logistically, and ecologically related, and how their variegated geographies increasingly depend upon one another. And so off the back of that and your comments just now, I'm wondering, I guess, are there ways that you've seen um, the cryptocurrency industry legitimately 
um, innovating on clean energy solutions. I know there's a lot of talk around, um, you know, Filecoin Green. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Filecoin, the decentralized data storage network, um, and a bunch of others. There's kind of all these moves towards kind of these ideas of regenerative finance and, you know, like very earth kind of focused projects. Is that just kind of trying to green wash the problem away and like you say it's actually um you know a, a, the forward march of the data and computing industry at large is um potentially kind of ecologically damaging um or is kind of proof of stake and and some of these sort of clean energy alternatives actually viable i think that there are like legitimate innovations happening in the space. Um, and I don't think that the, the focus on cryptocurrency being environmentally, wholly environmentally destructive is actually helpful. Um, because like, for example, my focus in my work is on the is on the building of relationships and i'm very interested in how um cryptocurrency and energy and the cryptocurrency industry and energy industries are building relationships with each other and what these relationships look like and um i think that we need more attention on this like qualitative understanding of these relationships because the way that crypto the way that the ecological impact of cryptocurrency mining is currently talked about um writ large is mostly a like binary uh production consumption sort of discourse right where um you know all of most articles in the media that talk about the energy use of proof of work cryptocurrency mining talk about it in you know they cite basically one of two big sources which is you know the cambridge um the cambridge uh, uh bitcoin mining data set and uh, or digiconomist who keeps uh who keeps uh of that his uh alex devries uh and digiconomist who keeps a a website on um uh or he continuously updates uh has he's he's computed a model and uh based on publicly available mining pool data and um continuously updates his website to show that uh um, Bitcoin mining is, you know, the, the, the carbon, the estimated carbon footprint, the cumulative energy use and how it compares to the energy use of, of you know, various countries around the world. Um, and so there's this very quantitative understanding of, of crypto, cryptocurrency mining's energy use. And this is sort of uh, placed often against the energy use models of the more traditional data center industry, um, which 
a recent paper in uh, in science that came out in 2020, I think now. Um, it's estimated that data centers use about 1% of all energy in, uh, you know, 1% of the world's energy, but they're super efficient. I mean, they've grown more efficient over the years and that the number of compute cycles um, that that can be used for a given amount of energy have, have increased so dramatically that data center energy use um, has not really increased that much in the last 10 years and shows that data centers are really efficient and blah, 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 blah. However, um, I emailed um, one of the authors of that paper and um, that paper did not include cryptocurrency mining in the cryptocurrency mining data centers in the, uh, in the data and be largely because the authors had decided that cryptocurrency mining was not deemed part of the traditional data center industry. So there are a lot of like sort of, uh, I don't know if I want to call it ideological, but there are a lot of choices happening on how to frame cryptocurrency mining and where to place it, right? Is it part of the data the data center industry writ large or is it not? Is it something exotic just sort of over here? Um, whereas, you know, operating in its own sphere where the data center industry is oper operating in another way over here. Well, like in everything that, in all of my work and everything that I've seen, especially in Iceland, the two are one and the same. And we shouldn't look at cryptocurrency mining as something external or something exotic. It is something that is deeply embedded in the uh, data center industry um, and has been for a long time. And like in seeing it like that, what I think we need to, to get away from are these binary quantitative understandings of energy of cumulative energy use which can be useful in some ways but also they can these these models which are are often put together through like Alex DeVries uh, uses publicly available mining pool data and also um, aggregate energy use estimates and you know things like that to to create his to create his models, um, but very little of this is actually uh, actually comes from on the ground research. Um, and so, what I think we need a lot more of is on the ground research that can provide qualitative understandings of how crypto how not just cryptocurrency mining but like big tech in general um is forming relationships with with energy utilities and energy producers and how these relationships are um are impacting the um the energy ecosystem writ large and so I think we need a more comparative, qualitative understanding of how all of this stuff is shaking out. Um, and I think that in trying to, and so this is why I like, I focus on Iceland, but in mainly, but in my dissertation, I also, I also 
bring focus to places like Texas, where a lot of cryptocurrency mining has moved since China uh, China banned it um, last year. When was it? I can't keep track of time anymore. I don't know when things happened because the pandemic has just totally shot my sense of time. Um, but I think it was last year that China banned cryptocurrency mining. And um, yeah. most most of that, uh, most of those ASICs and most of those miners moved to Texas, like a vast majority of them yeah. have moved to Texas. Um, and, and how these, how the cryptocurrency mining industry is setting itself up in Texas is vastly different than how it, how it has, has set itself up in Iceland. Um, and it's different in many ways in that, like a lot of these, a lot of these, uh, these folks that go into Texas, um, some of, some of them build companies that are, that are like energy facing. So like there are cryptocurrency mining companies that do nothing but cryptocurrency mining. However, the way that they, the way that they advertise their services are energy facing where we're like. We are delivering midstream solutions for natural gas producers, um, you know. And so there is this there is this engagement, direct on the ground engagement with energy producers um, in in Texas, and it, it's happening in other places too, like uh, Wyoming and also in Alberta. And it's not just happening with renewable energy; it's incentivizing. Um, it's incentivizing in some places. Um, the repurposing of old fossil fuel infrastructure, like that happened in New York with this old coal plant that turned into a natural gas plant um, that is now Green Ridge Generation that is now running a huge Bitcoin mine in this power plant. Um, and it's really controversial in New York. But the, the thing is, is that like, I think that if we can move past the... Uh, the quantitative, um, like the quantitative arguments for the the ecological impacts of of Bitcoin mining, because like in my mind, if we're going if we're going to be talking about proof of work, we also need to be talking about like what like AI machine learning, natural language processing, yeah. all, all of, all of these other types of high performance computing that use just as, just as much energy, but are, are slight, are slightly less ecologically controversial because I mean, I say in my dis- dissertation that like proof of work is, is so visible as, uh, as an ecological danger because it's a, uh, it's a single service, right? So like all of this, all of this, uh, computing power is going into, is just being used for one thing, right? One very, um, visible thing. And with AI and machine learning and natural language processing, it's a little bit harder to pin down exactly where all of the energy goes and what it's been, what it's being used for. Like all it's diffused. Yeah. And maybe it benefited me because yeah. I don't use cryptocurrency, but I do use, you know, Siri on my phone or whatever, which probably yeah. put it at some point. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. And so I think what proof of work does is it is it asks a really interesting question. 
and we're having all of these debates about uh, should we outlaw proof of work and blah, blah, blah. Well, like if the EU, for example, outlaws proof of work, like that's that sets a really interesting precedent because that basically that basically uh, says that we are outlawing a specific form of data process, a specific kind of data. Let me start that over so you can edit it right. We are outlawing a specific kind of data processing on environmental grounds. We are saying that we shouldn't process data in this way because it is ecologically destructive, which opens the door for a lot of other, you know, types of like things. It it's it makes a value proposition, right? Like about yeah, data processing. Yeah. So it's like, um, so it's not, so data processing is no longer a generalized thing. Like we shouldn't do this kind of data processing because, because environment. Right. Um, and I feel like that could open the door to other value propositions in the future on other types of data processing, which I don't necessarily think is a, totally bad thing but i don't think that many folks have considered the i don't know the implications or the ramifications of this i you know like i yeah, i just think like that it's a slight misdirection it, as well like you say are the underlying yeah. issues being addressed or are they just being politicized around some uses and not others yeah and like proof of work sometimes in these in these political arenas sometimes to me seems like a red herring in a way where uh yes i've used that exact language in um media interviews before yeah right or it's like is this actually the the problem like and i think that it is a problem um but i think it is what we're seeing is a symptom of a deeper problem, which is why I think yeah. the qualitative understanding of the relationships between tech and energy on the ground is so important to understand. And I think that this is where cryptocurrency is um, and uh, blockchain in general is innovating in a lot of in a lot of ways, um, both uh, positive, ne you know, negative, and everything in between. But I think that there is not nearly enough focus on this relationship building aspect of it. Um, and yeah. I think that, well, I think, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, of course, I'm, I'm biased, but um, I agree with you that the qualitative insights in this field are just fascinating. Uh, but I'm also encouraged because you mentioned, you know, how much an entire industry has been, you know, bootstrapped and built off of proof of work, which means that if, you know, the decentralized technology industry continues to kind of charge on uh, and there is more kind of pressure and attention on, you know, sustainability goals and, and these kinds of things, um, there's sort of resource and potential and impetus there to, um, to continue to kind of innovate and um, generate, you know, new sources of energy and, and, and think about how these things are interlinked. Yeah, exactly. And I think that like in, 
why I'm so uh, focused on the, the qualitative understanding of these relationships is um, that I think we really need to also um, focus on what we mean when we talk about sustainability. Um, because I, th- I, there, you know, there, there are, there are some decentralized projects out there, um, that are, you know, better than others, um, doing better work than others. And I think that, I think that there are a number of, uh, of, of projects that, that, you know, can take advantage of like, you know, the, the carbon trading, the carbon trading industry, whatever, to sort of like claim a sort of um, dedication to sustainability. But really, like, what do you really mean by sustainability? Are you just sort of like rearrange, rearranging financial deck chairs? Um, it, or are you actually making an impact? Um, and what, like, how do we, how do we, how do we measure impact? How do we measure relationships? And I think that there are a lot of there are a lot of folks who are who are trying to ask these questions, um, but uh, I think the uh, the concept of sustainability, especially in in this um, in this newly emerging decentralized space, is one that I think um, needs to be addressed qualitatively um, between folks in this space, like. Um, and I think that it's, that it's understood differently by, um, different, different projects, uh, different, like there are, there are some projects that are, you know, that are really focused on like measuring, like we are, our, you know, our project, like what's like regen, the regen, uh, project is, is, uh, like they are focused on measuring, um, like real world impact, like our, you know, our, our project is doing, is doing this for this specific project right here. Um, and I think I like that, um, more so than, uh, other, than other projects who are, uh, who operate mainly by like, we are investing in, you know, we are investing in this company that's investing in this company that's going to buy carbon credits and, you know, move them over here and doing all that. So like, sure, like energy trading you know, things, yeah. I don't know if I'm making a lot of sense here, but like, I, I think this is, this is sort of some of the work that I'm, that I'm going to be getting into in my new, in my new role. Um, well, tell us, a, tell us a little bit more uh, about that. I mean, it's, um, it's a fantastic point. It's an uh, internship for now in the sustainability program office at Intel, um, but it, it's uh, uh, some of the work I'll be doing to start off with is focusing on um, how sustainability is conceptualized in the Web three space. Um, oh, right. I was going to say that's the obvious research question from your previous yeah. comment, <laughs> um, and sort of like just sort of teasing out some of these questions that I, that I've been talking about, but more, um, more on the, uh, like I've been focused on hardware, like on hardware in the Bitcoin space for a long time. Um, but this, in the, in this new role, I'm going to be diving more into the, uh, like, uh, more into the, uh, like the, the Ethereum community, uh, the web three space, like software developers, um, folks, folks, uh, um, building sustainability minded, like climate focused web three projects 
to sort of tease out how these projects think about sustainability and what it means. Um, like in very, uh, yeah. like very, uh, um, God, what's the word I'm looking for? In a very sort of uh, explicitly rudimentary way where, where we're like, what, I, what, I, what I'd love to do is just sort of map all of these institutional relationships that are that are brought on board in order to define a certain project's uh, concept and relationship to sustainability, right? And and then try to think about what that what that means when compared to this other project over here and this other project over here, so that we can sort of think more critically about how the Web three space writ large is conceptualizing sustainability. Um, and I. Yeah, because I think that, you know, sustainability is a buzzword that's thrown around a lot. Um, and um, I think that sort of critically getting at what that means sort of institutionally in the space um, is going to be key to moving it forward in a positive direction, which I think it, it can move. It can move forward in a, in a positive direction. Um, but uh, but yeah, I. I, I'd I'd like to uh, yeah to really get at what sus what sustainability means in this space, and I'm excited. Yeah, to, absolutely. Uh, I'm excited is it to learn more. Idea? I, yeah. I was just going to say, is it an idea? Is it a goal? Is it a policy direction? Um, yeah. Is it a technology? Yeah, that's fascinating. And outcome wise, is it a number? Is it a process? Mm -hmm. Is it a relationship? Like, what is it? Like, you know, a, a lot of companies define sustainability like through, you know, through numbers and metrics and whatever. But um, but what if, you know, what if we define it more in terms of relationships? And I see I can see that in the Web3 space, like sustain, like especially in projects like Regen, um, define like defining sustainability as a set of relationships. Um, and I'm excited to see where that might go um or could go um so yeah i don't know i think that there there are there are positive directions for this space to go um but i think that uh i i i think that like we need to move beyond the hype you know i want to move i want to move beyond the hype and all of the uh all of the the venture capital flowing everywhere. And I want to like drill down to like, what's, what, what can we actually do with this stuff and how can we sort of reconceptualize uh, sustainability as a, as a set of like mutually beneficial relationships? Yeah. Well, hopefully the um, massive recent market crash helps to take some of the heat out. Uh, so people yeah. can focus on on some of these underlying questions and yeah. concerns yeah. with the space. Was there any final comments or things you wanted to add before we sign off? I don't know. Um, no, this has been a this has been a, a a great convo. Yeah, just that I you know I hope to keep uh, um, you know to keep st uh, studying studying in this in this space in ways that uh, um, can hopefully lead to. Uh, positive impacts so yeah i don't know 
I, yeah, I think that's it. That is okay. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I found it quite enlightening just to hear from your kind of first-hand experience on the ground, as you've mentioned. And I guess this is definitely a shout out for relevant people or projects to be in touch with you. And I'll provide links um, in the show notes, as I've mentioned to your website and, and other avenues. I know you're on Twitter, which is, I think, how we initially connected. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I guess I, I will say, well, I'll, I'll make a plug. One, like, one of my one of my goals, and I, I've been trying to to apply for funding for this, but I haven't I haven't gotten it yet. But one of my, one of my goals is to sort of expand on some on the work that I've done in Iceland. Um, I think I have this on on my research projects page um, on uh, on my website. But um, to build to build out a qualitative at comparative atlas of um, big tech energy relations with focuses on like climate and energy justice. Um, and to, to uh, like, you know, cause I, I, right now I have my work in Iceland, but I also, I also want to uh, build out a Texas case study. I want to build out an Al- Alberta take case study, but I, I, I would really love to, be in touch with folks doing, doing interesting qualitative uh, work on cryptocurrency energy relationships on the ground um, so that we can uh, work together to maybe uh, start building out a comparative atlas that can be used in a similar way that like the, the Cambridge data set is used yeah. for a lot, for a lot of folks uh, looking for quantitative metrics on, uh, on cryptocurrency energy use. Um, this yeah. would sort of be a qualitative, um, not counter, but it, it would be a qualitative uh, compliment. Um, compliment. That, that's the word I was looking for to that so that's what i'm looking to build so if anybody is out there doing really cool um on the ground like either ethnographic or you know whatever just any any sort of like qualitative on the ground work with cryptocurrency energy relations um anywhere in the world i'd love to connect with with any of you (laughs) um so that we can talk about this stuff Cool. So yes and yes, we can talk about some of the RMIT stuff straight after this. But thank you to our guest, uh, Zane griffin Tally cooper and thank you for joining us for this episode of Mint and Burn. You can check out the show notes, including links to research at rmitblockchain.io.